Hello and welcome back to the Blue Cow Red Cow podcast, the only podcast that focuses on cattle reproduction and getting more cows pregnant the first time, guaranteed. Each month we'll provide you with thought-provoking interviews from university researchers, veterinarians and producers, all on the topic of cattle reproduction. Hi, I'm your host Nick Isles with Parnell's Production Animal Team. In this episode, we have the opportunity to interview Dr. Adrian Barrigan from Penn State University. Listen in and we learn his path to becoming an emerging researcher in transition cow diseases, his work through the various universities and the Fertility 360 report. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Nick Isles and I am the production animal manager at Parnell. And welcome back to our series of the Blue Cow, Red Cow podcast. And I'm delighted this afternoon to be interviewing Professor Adrian Barrigan, who is the Assistant Research Professor and Extension Veterinarian at Penn State Agricultural College. So good afternoon to you, Dr. Adrian. Good afternoon, Nick. Thank you so much for having me. I I wish this could be an in-person meeting instead of a a sort of online virtual meeting, but uh, it's what we have. Yes, they are certainly unusual times, but we will make our way through it. And I would love to have been in person with you because I think you're in a lovely spot there in College State. Unfortunately, we can't get there. And I'm in, here I am in Brisbane, but you can hear the, the birds chirping at my end and it's coming to the end of your day for you. But anyway, look, what I love to do, Adrian, is to um, get to understand you and introduce you to our audience. And part of that is just understanding a little bit about your background, where you've come from, and how it is that you've arrived at Penn State. So why don't we start off with how did you get into veterinary teaching? Because actually, by background, you're actually a DVM. Where did you do your studies? I came from a small town in Buenos Aires province from Argentina. Different to many of, of the people that the professionals that are working on dairy industry, I don't have a dairy background. I didn't have cows when I grew up or anything like that. My dad actually was a human doctor, so a, a clinical doctor. But I grew up in a really small town where agriculture was the main sort of income. And my dad was the only doctor in that town. And as all small town, doctor is kind of the important guy. And he got a lot of friends with um, a lot of agricultural fields and, and livestock and things like that. So I managed to get my way into getting some uh, early experience at that at kind of teenager age, uh, working with cattle. And I, I really enjoyed the working with actually the, the cows. I always kind of knew that I like animals and, and kind of healing animals and was interested in the disease and, and, and treating disease and, and the prognosis or treatment strategy and things like that. But once I started working with cattle, I really felt passionate about it just because the sort of animals, such as uh, large animals, but they can be so tame and so immune strong compared to other species, uh, they're definitely tough animals. And I I really like that. But after that, I kind of knew I wanted to go to vet school and I had to move to a large city that was about, I think it was 10 hours driving. But in Argentina, we don't use uh, planes as often as here. In the States, it's actually a really expensive mode of transportation. So we usually either drive or use buses. So in bus, it was about 15, 16 hours of in it's the long. bus or driving. <laughs> it's a long drive. Yeah. yeah. 
And so that, that took you to, to um, Buenos Aires, is that correct? It's actually is the capital of Buenos Aires, which is La Plata City. Okay. Uh, it's only 20 minutes away from Buenos Aires, but it's also a large city as well. Okay. That was the college you went and you did veterinary science as your, uh, as your undergrad there, or did you, is there, was there an undergrad program that you had to go through first? Yeah, that's a good question, uh, Nick. And actually, uh, all my advice is here in, now as a professor in the Department of Veterinary and Biomedical Sciences, we provide an undergraduate measure or one of the really good undergraduate measures for students to go to vet school because we touch base a lot of uh, biological and uh, disease or pathogenesis uh, sort of knowledge, foundational knowledge that allows the students to move to vet school. In Argentina, you actually do not need a bachelor or an undergrad degree. You can go straight from high school into vet school, and the first two or three years of vet school are going to be all those foundational knowledge courses, such as biostatistics, physiology, disease, pathophysiology, and things like that. And then the other uh, two years or two years and a half, so actually in Argentina it's five years instead of four, you get all the clinic, the clinical experience and all the more advanced knowledge regarding material medicine. And so when you were coming to the end of your time doing your DVM in Argentina, when did you sort of decide, oh, I need to spread my wings and go elsewhere? When was that and why the US? Why not New Zealand or Australia? So much closer. Yeah, that, <laughs> I know. And I think I share this with you, uh, Nick, as we gain confidence and develop our friendship, but uh, I always wanted to live in Australia. That was actually my dream country. I wanted to move to Australia and live there, and um, the turns of life just took me to a different path. But it's an interesting story behind why I ended up in the States. I actually was already graduated. I was working in a large field of facility as the main veterinarian, about 16,000 cows, and I was the main in charge of the health and the, all the preventive management of the, that population of animals. And actually, I, I just before the thing that I'm going about to say happened, I was offered like a higher position and everything was working really good. But unfortunately, I got an accident, my motorbike, which um, left me into some therapy, kind of rehab sort of therapy that took about, I think it was seven months. And as, as you know, Nick, the, the war with cattle requires some physical work, and uh, I couldn't do that anymore. So therefore, I had to quit my shop. And then I went back to my college and reached out to one of my former professors, to ask about research opportunity, because that is something, so it was a branch that I always wanted to explore. And I thought it was a good timing because I couldn't practice because I wasn't in therapy, I was injured, but I could do some research on or look for opportunities on that. And I started working as a voluntary work, no pay or anything into uh, one of the department, the reproduction department of the university, of the College of Veterinary Medicine. And um, after that, there was this opportunity. So that professor was working with people in the United States, and it came the opportunity to travel to the state to help into a res uh, with a research study that was being performed in Colorado, and they need some more help uh, to collect samples and things like that. And that's how everything started. So I moved to the state to what is, was going to be a six to 12-month period, 
and I'm still around. So, <laughs> well, it's always always the way. I imagine that um, you potentially. I'm assuming here that you've possibly met someone that made you stay. I know the feeling. If that is the case, I moved to Australia and on a holiday and met somebody and, and um, unfortunately ended up staying. What a terrible thing. So you, you landed in Colorado and um, you were on a large farm there. So tell us about the research that you're doing on that dairy. Yeah, so this was, um, once I moved in Colorado, the, the research was already ongoing under the guidance of Dr. Schunemann from Ohio State University. And he, back then, this was back in 2012, Dr. Martin McIver, and now he's a faculty in the Animal Science Department in Washington State University. Back then, Martin was doing his postdoc. So I started to work with Martin into this study that we were trying alternatives to treat uterine diseases, in this case was endometritis, in organic farm. So we were doing infusions, intrauterine infusions with dextrose. And this, uh, this was a large study. It took us about nine months of field work. And we enrolled almost uh, 3,000 animals in that trial. And we actually had some good results after, uh, actually, the paper was published in, I think that was 2015. But yeah, that was initial work. And after that, it, w- it was when Dr. Schunemann offered me a master position at OSU, and then I moved to, to Ohio. Excellent. So from a, a motorbike accident to getting involved with research, I can probably safely assume that after your stint there on that uh, organic dairy, you you got a real taste of clinical research in veterinary medicine. Was that probably the, the tipping point for you or was it a little bit further down? Maybe you were still undecided, but obviously the opportunity to do a master's must have seemed pretty attractive. Yeah, no, definitely. And that was kind of one of my initial biggest experience or large experience with dairy cattle. Uh, after vet school, I was 100% beef cattle and I always wanted to focus more on beef cattle. Because uh, definitely the, the dairy industry in Argentina, now it's kind of turning more into more intensive management, confined sort of the conventional system we have here. But it's a lot of grazing system. It's not as dynamic as what we have here in the States. But after having that large experience, imagine this was a 5,000 milking cow facility. So there was a lot of going on there. And I am got not only to work on the research study, but also was helping with the health side, the animal health side on the farm. So I got a lot of experience in a really short amount of time. But to be honest, when the opportunity of the master came up, I wasn't totally sold on research. I always was a really clinical guy. I always like a lot of the treatment, the season. And that is what most of my research that I'm doing now, my applied research, is really focused on developing protocols or practices that the producers can implement. So treatment, prevention, but something that they could not, they can do and then we can measure the health, we can measure the production. Never go too much into the molecular side because I, I always consider myself a more of a field guy. So then you moved to um, Columbus and then what was your research based on in Ohio State University? Is uh, you gotta say the, you're gonna pronounce it D, Nick. It's D Ohio State University. D. Oh, the oh, the That's right. I do <laughs> actually. I, I see that. So I have, I've missed that. Maybe I'll, I'll re-ask the question. So Adrian, tell me then about the research that you were conducting at the Ohio State University in Columbus. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> The master study was actually, it was a study where we developed an application for smartphone devices to collect data at the maternity uh, operations. So basically, it, it, the intention of this project was to develop a tool 
that the person on the farm can use to collect data into their phones or a tablet, and that data was going to be automatically uploaded into the computer records. So we will make uh, the kind of cow-sci sort of um, collection of information, and we'll have like one less step in between where mistakes can happen, where they have to interpret handwriting or numbers or numbers get misstepped on things like that. So it kind of got the process automated and also makes more simple to collect the data and to get it into the records where actually the veterinarian or the consultants can analyze. And that was the main focus of the study. We did a few other studies, but that was actually the main focus of the research. Okay, and so that got you obviously started a little bit of interest in in record keeping. Obviously, and we can we'll come back to that because it's very um, fortuitous that you, you mention that because it's certainly a lot of work that you know I know you for and you're passionate about is you know good entry of information or data or data collection on at the cow side and then how we can you know leverage that. So you finished your masters there and then you went on to do your PhD at the Ohio State uh, University. <laughs> so tell us about that. What did you do in your PhD time? Yeah, so after I finished the master with Dr. Schunemann, there was actually another faculty in the department that they were looking for, for a PhD student. And they were actually looking to do some project on an area that I was really passionate, that was the cow health and the transition period. And then they actually had an ongoing project about metritis and sort of the physiological impact of the disease on the cow, such as the behavior, the again, biomarker of pain, biomarker of inflammation, stress, and things like that. And from that, we jump into an early stage sort of process where we try to prevent those diseases by decreasing inflammation by treating cows with anti-inflammatories right after calving. And that is when kind of the, the whole project, because they got to be connected in some way, those the, the PhD projects. And um, that, that was kind of how where they were developed. But this is, again, it was an area that I really like. It was the animal health and the treatment and also prevention of the diseases. It's developing these practices that are applicable, practical, and economical, and actually they're meaningful and useful for the producers. Excellent. Tell us a little bit more about that project that you started getting into, in particular, obviously, about metritis. So tell us about that actual trial, and did you go on to publish any papers out of that PhD? Yeah, so um, the study of the metritis was basically one of the first study that assessed the behavior of cows with metritis, how metritis affected uh, how these cows behave. And it was interesting to see that there was an association in parity which kind of ma made biological sense. And we found that metritis affected more severely the first lactation cows, primipers cows. And we measured uh, different behaviors that are associated with either pain or depression, such as laying time, number of steps, and things like that. And we found either increase or decrease of those behaviors in first lactation cows that have metritis compared to the first lactation cows that did not have metritis. But when we looked the same behaviors into the other cows, multiple cows, we did not find any difference. And the other thing that regardless of parity overall, the cows that have metritis, they had a higher inflammation and also they have a higher concentration of this biomarker of pain or uh, nociception, if we, we want to be more proper, that is known as substance P. 
So we actually found that cows with nitrate had an increased concentration of this biomarker of nociception, which is associated with pain. And back then, we thought that cows with metritis, they are not in pain. We, we knew they had an infection, but there were not too much scientific uh, trials or studies that had looked at that. There was actually one that looked into the arch uh, of the back, back arch. So there was an association with that, and there was some suggestion that could cause pain, visceral pain. But now with this study where we actually measured a biomarker of nociception, we found that the cows, those cows actually had pain. Mm. And looking at nitritis itself, I mean, I know it's uh, described as a transition cow disease, but it is one of the diseases that would transpire probably in week two or beyond that it can obviously progress further to um, endometritis. But you've got this baseline of chronic inflammation around the cow. I mean, she's just calved. Obviously, uh, the birthing process, despite uh, what we may think or may not think, it's painful. And, you know, I think you and I have discussed before about it's quite a sort of a Victorian um, approach to medicine at the moment. Uh, We don't really give much pain management to cows, expecting them to, to carve out with ease. So was there any finding there that the chronic pain or just the pain from carving may have been underlying or a factor in the incidence of, of metritis? And did that then lead you back to say, well, maybe we need to tackle this a bit earlier? Yeah, no, that's a good question, Nick. And actually, there are, there are some previous literature that I, they found an association in the inflammation from calving and the likelihood of the cow developing metritis. So they found that a cow that had a high inflammation around calving, so after calving and the day of calving, they had a higher chance or likelihood of having metritis. High inflammation around calving not only affects metritis, but also affects production. And there are many papers that I actually have published a report data on that, where we found that we have cows that just because, we don't know yet why, but they just have a high inflammation at calving. And those cows are the ones that get more sick. Those cows are the ones that have lower milk production. Those cows are the cows that have fertility issues. So kind of going back to that point, that was tied to the second round of studies that we did in the PhD where we tried to decrease, or in, I'll put it in a different way, we tried to modulate the inflammatory response of the cows around calving in order to decrease the likelihood of having uh, metritis or a different disease and having a poor performance. Metritis is obviously one of the transition cow diseases, but uh, I mean, I can think of probably several others going all the way back to sort of calving ease. Retained placentas, I imagine, is probably tied up in there and that inflammatory response as well. Obviously, you need inflammation to remove the placenta. But, you know, if you've got that chronic inflammation, then what other uterine diseases are associated to high inflammation? Yeah, I believe perhaps all of them, but the data is not there yet. And to my knowledge, there is not a data supporting high inflammation will increase the likelihood of retin placenta or other diseases like that. So now we just uh, actually just literally just published a paper that was in press uh, yesterday in the Journal of Data Science, where we actually measure the the inflammation. So we measure inflammation, so abdoglobin, stress, and we use cortisol, and this nociception uh, or pain that was absent P, and we measure the degree or the concentration of those biomarkers around calving, the first 48 hours after calving, and then we categorize the cow into three groups, healthy cows in the first 60 days, 
cows that develop only one disease in the first 60 days, and cows that develop two or more diseases in the first 60 days in milk. And what we found is that the cows that had developed one or more diseases, they had a higher inflammation and a higher stress around calving the first 24, 48 hours after calving compared to the cows that remain healthy. So, and these are diseases regardless of what disease is. It could be metritis, it could be mastitis, it could be DA, any disease, which is categorized in group of, of amount or number of diseases. Right. So, so I believe that all diseases are in, uh, that that can increase the risk of all diseases. Okay. So I'm just trying to follow the, the timeline here. So you, that's recent studies that you've just published uh, in the Journal of Dairy Science. So how did you go from Ohio State, the Ohio State, sorry, to where you are now? And what was that transition? Did you continue teaching and researching at, at Ohio? But how did you end up over in Penn State? After I finished my PhD, way before I finished my, my PhD, and basically started applying for positions that they had the, the three components that I enjoyed the most out of the, the branch of veterinary medicine that I had selected for my, my professional career, that is extension, research, and teaching. And uh, I was fortunate enough that there was a position open at Penn State and the Department of Veterinary and Biomedical Sciences, uh, Dr. Wolfman, renowned uh, extension veterinarian that she's uh, retired right before I, I started here. So he retired and the position was open. So I applied to it and, and I was fortunate enough to get it, but always have a, a big shoes to fill out. Dr. Wolfman was a really renowned and, and actually really a great extension veterinarian. But uh, I, I always kind of mention that it's kind of my, my dream show because of the split of the appointments, because I have the three components that I really enjoy about the, the veterinary medicine branches and it's extension, the research and the teaching. So I get to do a little bit of everything so I don't get bored of only one thing or, or it's just tired of getting to you know, do only one thing. And so when did you commence that position? That was in August 2017. So it has been already three years that I have been in Penn State. Wow, uh, that time flies. And what is the time split flies. between? Is it sort of a third between each of those domains? Yeah, so it's a, it's a split. It's mostly extension. So you have about 60% extension, 30% research, and 10% teaching, which is large enough to allow me to have my own course in the spring semester where I teach about ruminant hair health management. Okay. Uh, so a lot of um, dairy cattle, but also beef cattle. And we also talk about uh, small ruminants. So we talk about goats and, and sheep as well in this management course. Is Pennsylvania known for its uh, sheep and uh, small ruminants and goats as well? Yeah, it definitely has a good industry uh, on those. There's definitely not as much information about those small ruminants. It's, it's a lot of, of just kind of traditional sort of management, but uh, there are a few educators in uh, Penn State and, and professors that actually are really knowledgeable and usually they're my invited speaker for the course to talk about those specific yeah. topics and then 30 percent being research so let's go there and i will come back to your extension appointment mm -hmm. as well because i think that's certainly something as well that you're clearly very passionate about i've seen you doing a lot of continued education with dairymen and uh, clearly want to get out on farm and, and look at the as you say developing the practical application of your science into protocols and into animal husbandry but, uh, I mean, it's a fascinating journey, though, on the research side of things, particularly with the look at inflammation and transition cow. So 
Tell us about the research that you uh, then began at Penn State and how has that progressed? Yeah. So I think that the great topic about having extension and, and research components, that those are really tightly correlated. Because basically the research that I develop is a really applicable, what we call applied research, that it translates automatically into practices and management that I do my continuous education programs or that help the producers to troubleshoot issues, which is the extension component of, of my appointment. But the research that we develop here, of course, you always can have a line of research, which mine is, is transition cattle management and reproduction. But a lot of the really good questions that I actually do research on, it come from the actual producers or veterinarians that are in the field. And they, they have these ideas because they, they have tried, they don't know if they work. And there are a lot of those that have biological sense or they make biological sense and those are the ones that that you want to test it you want to put some randomization on it and some statistical process in order to find out if it's actually a, a different knowledge is empirical or coincidence or just you know perceptions so i think that it's a it's a really good connection between those branches between the extension and the research because you get feedback from the producers and the veterinarians you develop the research you get the result and then you go back to the producers and veterinarians and teach them or show them or convey the result of their research and then it's how the, the industry evolves and get improved. And so what projects are you working on presently for your research or have you just published? You mentioned there about a paper that had just been uh, published in the last week or so. Tell us about that. It generally doesn't happen overnight, so it's uh, generally a culmination of a number of years of work. Yeah, so one of the papers that we got published this, this year is related to this uh, uh, pain management or inflammation management after calving that we kind of briefly talked before that I can start doing those projects during my PhD back in The Ohio State University. And then one thing that we found with the studies that we did back in OSU is that they were uh, pre-time consuming allergies because they're uh, many treatments and also they had to be performing specific time so every 12 hours and and definitely logistically it was it wasn't friendly for the producers so when it came to to Penestay, I, I developed a protocol that I thought it was going to be more logistically appealing for producers where actually they need to treat the cows only two days once a day and from the management point of view, that was much more uh, well-received by the producers. And they said, oh, yeah, this is something that we definitely can, can implement. So we tested, and we actually had a really good result, really similar to the other study and to the other studies that have been published for other labs. So we, we got that paper published not too long ago, and we found improvements. Uh, so basically, we took cows with an inside and non-esteroid anti-inflammatory drug. It was aspirin. And uh, we treated cows within 12 hours after calving and 24 hours later. And we found increase in milk production in multiple cows in the first 60 days in milk. And we're talking about almost two kilos per day per cow for the first 60 days in milk. We also found an improvement in the metabolic status of the cows, so less cows, less um, clinical ketosis, better body condition score. And actually, now I'm working on the second part of this paper, that is the reproductive data and the uterine disease data, where actually we found an decrease in metritis and endometritis and improvement in fertility in some fertility parameters, such as uh, decimal to conception, and um, I believe was a number of services to conceive as well. Mm. Well, it stands to reason that if you move through calving, if we can even relate to our own human experiences, I mean, if pain is reduced and 
inflammation is reduced in the recovery, it would stand to reason would improve as well. So things like being able to become pregnant again uh, on a human side would be much easier. And then I imagine from on the cow perspective, so seeing the reproductive performance improve with that, but also you know, milk production there. That's fascinating that you've got um, increased milk production out to 60 days. What other parameters you mentioned there, um, other transition cow diseases were also also down metritis. Any other sort of diseases that related to inflammation? I, I mean, I imagine there's quite a, a raft of transition cow diseases that are all tied in with this inflammatory response. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we actually, so in the first set of trials that we did in OSU, we use farm data based on diseases. We collect the, the record from the farm and we didn't find any different between placenta, metritis, mastitis, nothing at all. So for the second trial, I, we decided to collect some data ourselves about some specific diseases. And for me, repro and uterine diseases are always the most important area that I, I like to focus on. So we collect the data of routine placenta, metritis at seven days in milk, metritis at 14 days in milk, and clinical metritis. Uh, we collect ourselves, and those are the ones that we found difference. But then the data from the farm records, where we also have data from clinical, well, actually I mentioned subclinical ketosis actually was lower in cows that we treat with aspirin. But then all the data from the farm, they actually the clinical ketosis, mastitis, DAs, anything that was recorded for the farm was actually not different. And I, perhaps it's, it's just the frequency of the, of the checking and the accuracy of the diagnosis that perhaps we were really looking for those cows when the farm, the, the cows, yes, if the cow decreases milk production or is not, they find anything, rumination or, or depending on what they are assessing, and then they're going to pull the cow out and they will check on the cow. We actually, regardless of if they were producing or they were ruminating, we still would check the cow and perhaps we found those cows early on or we found cows that had a milder condition as well. Mm. And you, you mentioned there, Adrian, a couple of really key points that are tied into not only research, but the feedback of your research to dairymen, uh, and that's through the, your extension work, and we will come to discuss that. But a couple of things that, that struck me that you mentioned there was one is about diagnosis, and the second was about record keeping. And what's been your experience through the extension work, so your time actually talking to dairymen and on-farm what are your observations about record keeping, particularly around transition cow diseases? There's probably about eight or nine diseases that cover off probably about 80% of the problems on a dairy. How well do, do dairymen record those and or diagnose those, one, and then to record them, what's been your observations? Unfortunately, we don't have solid data on those sort of things, but just as empirical data of observation from experience, one thing that is always could be issues of the lacking of is some protocols for diagnosing the disease and the, the missing, perhaps the multiple disease definition or interpretation that could be even in one form, which allow to confusion and to miss or under or over diagnosis of the diseases because not everybody's in the same page. They are really proactive farmers that they have excellent protocols, excellent training of the personnel, and those are the ones that have the more better quality records. 
but those are all tied together. So the record keeping will have, they're strictly tied to the protocols that are developed to collect those CCs, which what we need for that, we need strict recognition of who is the person in charge, how they're going to do it, how they call the disease, what is the disease definition, what they're looking for, what they're going to be using to diagnose that disease. For instance, metritis, we talk about the metric, for instance, or, or rectal palpation of the uterus. Uh, so specific uh, information about how to do it, what to look for, and what to do with that cow, and then how to record that cow, because I think then quite often those protocols, what we're lacking is, okay, so now we, we did everything, we found the cow, we treated, so now what? We got to record that information, we got to put that information into the records. So that's one of the protocol, and along with the protocol, without training of the personnel that's going to be performing that protocol, we cannot be successful we don't invest on, on those of you. And I think that's that's what I see more often, kind of disconnection. But it takes us to this lack of quality, you might say, of the records or or no re reliability of those records. Mm. And what's I think there's a obviously an opportunity here for the veterinarian to assist in these, you know, and I've written down here protocols for diagnosis, protocols for treatment and then protocols for recording that information. And the three of those are all very tightly linked. Where do you see the veterinarian fitting in here? And if you were to put on your, your DVM hat, uh, and obviously the work that you've done with extension, because look, the vet's not on farm, you know, maybe once a week for a couple of hours doing their walk around, doing their vet checks. But a lot of the diagnosis of these diseases is going to have to be done by the, the dairyman. So how is that done through your extension? What, what's, again, what's been your experience in, in looking at all the different dairymen across the state of Pennsylvania? Uh, obviously, there's various sort of levels of understanding of disease diagnosis. What's your thoughts on that and who helps? Where is the help coming from? Yeah, no, well, I think that the, the protocols, when it, when it comes to the protocols, especially when they're talking about protocols that counts with uh, either disease diagnosis or treatment, the veterinarian is the first person that the farmers or the herd manager have to consult with. When it comes to record keeping, it could be different people, but I think the veterinarian, uh, in our position, we have evolved to more of not only a person or a professional that is only focused on the animal health, but also we have this kind of overall match approach and, and consulting also sort of uh, help to the producers where I think that the veterinarian will fit in all the steps of the development of those protocols. So I always... You know, even we have some, uh, and I have been involved in some of these uh, sort of international veterinarian education programs where we actually convey this, this message about the veterinarian being more of a consulting for the farm, not only focusing on doing the DA or treating the, the hard dystocia cow, the one that need a phototomy or a C-section, but also helping the cow with the management, with uh, identifying those risk factors, improving the quality of the record, improving the protocol. So the veterinarian definitely has the capability to do all of that. And, and I think that now we are well evolving to be able to and to be confident at doing that. Mm. And so you see, you know, key role there for the veterinarian to help drive, you know, one is the diagnosis and, and recording of that. I think you mentioned their DAs is probably a classic one when we look at dairy herd management systems like Dairy Comp. DAs are in there, but only when treated. You know, you don't always get those that aren't treated, those that may have a career change for whatever reason. So you don't really get a true picture of the incidence, you know, morbidity, mortality of, of the diseases. So 
you know, there's still obviously a lot of work to be done on the record keeping side. But great opportunity there for the for veterinarians to come in and facilitate that because then your research, when you go to look at the records, you know, you can get a, a much better picture then of obviously what's going on on the, on the dairy. So on your extension side, which is where you spend 60% of your time, what, what does that work involve? I really enjoy the extension component. The extension component, I usually break it down into two main areas. And one is more of the consulting field investigation sort of area that is to direct contact with the producer, with the veterinarian, go to the farm, check in for risk factors and, and coming out with solutions and help them fix the issues or come out with recommendations without actually the, the field work where we actually go to the farm, collect samples, process the samples, report the result to the veterinarian and things like that. And the other big component is the development of the educational programs, which actually is, that is part of, of a conveying part of the research that we have done, but also other labs research, which actually is beneficial for the producers. And these educational programs can actually have work in a variety of different formats, such as uh, webinars, in-person, videos, recording, podcasts. So variety of those. And I think definitely one of the biggest challenges that we I have found with those is just the outreach, is just getting the people to know that the information is out there. Right. Uh, it's really hard to get to reach to the people and say, hey, yeah, you're looking for that. It's right there. But it's that connection and just uh, kind of reaching out to them. Mm. I think that we're slowly getting better at that as, as we hear more of the feedback from the audience and how, what are the best formats or delivery method for them. But definitely, I think that might be the biggest challenge that, that we have. But both of the two components, I really enjoy both. And it's a good mix because you have the, you, you still are, do not uh, lose the connection with the field with which actually is going on out there. And you also had to still immerse on the latest scientific research, putting this article together to inform in a kind of layman terms or, or more basic terms about, you know, kind of translating all these numbers into more meaningful information that the producer can read in half hour or so. Say, oh, yeah, this is great. I can use it or I cannot. But yeah, it's, it's, it's a good connection between uh, those two components. And in terms of your customers through the extension, would you say that the majority is with producers or do you also have an audience with veterinarians as well? Because there's obviously some important research that they need to understand the, the science behind it. And then, uh, not to say that you're trying to dumb it down, but simplify the key take-home points for the producer. So what would be your your split in terms of your time working with veterinarians and then working with producers? I think it's, it's both. And uh, we always, that that's play the same way. And every time that we work with a producer, we work through the veterinarian. We always, perhaps, and most of the time, the veterinarians are going to be the ones contacting us. But if not, we ask the producer to let us know who is the veterinarian. We always keep in the loop. Some veterinarians like to be more involved. Other ones are just really busy with other things. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's definitely a tight schedule as I was in practice as well. I totally understand things like that and you know some of those they, they don't want to be as much involved but i will say that it's about the same and they're different now because for instance a veterinarian we have some educational program for veterinarians for continuous education such as the dairy daily production uh, program where actually it's a two years and a half program where they get i think they say every three months we have a two days and a half 
educational program where they come and we have education of specific topics and it's just the latest uh, knowledge in each of those topics related to data management. Those programs are 100% oriented for veterinarians. Only veterinarians can attend to those. But then you have other programs such as, for instance, personal training or some more uh, milker manage, personal management sort of program that which actually do not require as much involvement of the veterinarian. It's, it's mostly producer or her manager related. So uh, they definitely tie together, but they are, they are independent as well. Yeah. And does that, your extension work, is it just within the state of Pennsylvania or other people from outside of the state can attend those? So I'm thinking of a veterinarian, for example, with your program there. So if you're a, a vet that maybe you're in a, a satellite state, you know, being mm -hmm. around Pennsylvania, can you get access to those resources? Definitely, yeah. It's mostly, obviously, it's mostly Pennsylvania because we work for Penn State University. So most of the extension work is related to, to Pennsylvania between and producers. Uh, with that being said, the dairy production program that actually last crew of veterinarians we have people from florida people from uh cornell and i believe we have somebody from ohio as well so uh, definitely it's open although most of the people who come from pa is open for for veterinarians and nowadays with the covid 19 situation that we are working on or we're going through a lot of, of these educational materials are being either delivery or made into a virtual format, which actually everybody can, even people from international, uh, people from Argentina, uh, they have access to uh, these educational materials. So I think that definitely has been increasing our outreach to people and, and the kind of knowledge of people about what we can do and we can offer. Well, you mentioned before as well, Adrian, about finding the right format. And definitely, I think we've been online a lot more in the last uh, six months. I can certainly attest to that. I think a lot of online content. So please, here is your opportunity for an unashamed plug. Where can people find out if you're a veterinarian or producer? Where can they find out about some of the resources and work that you're doing through the Penn State Extension? Where would they Google and go for that? I'll probably put you on the spot. But where can they find that information? Oh, that's great. I get some, some marketing in between in yeah, my podcast. You do. Great. <laughs> you do. So most of the information is going to be in the website of Penn State Extension. So if they get into the website and they type for a specific species of animal, for instance, we type dairy, and then you type the last name of the uh, professional professor that you're looking information for, you'll find the programs that they have developed. So if you do Penn State Extension, you do the search Dairy Bar again, that's my, la my last name, you'll find all the different programs that I have developed. And, and you can pay, you know, the ones that you might be interested on. But sometimes I just feel that that is, is the part that, that the people lack of knowledge, that they just don't know who's working with or what they're working with. It's just by looking for topics, they might be able also to find the, the information. They say that they are having issues with ketosis, so they can purchase dirty ketosis and the information will pop up. It's not perfect. We're still working into getting that search browser a little more specific. We're still not as, as accurate as we would like to, but it works fairly, fairly good. Excellent. And look, I've just, whilst we've been talking here, I've been typing that in. There is obviously an extension faculty, which is part of the Penn State College of Agricultural Sciences uh, website. And Adrian, you are there with your bio, along with several other of the professors there that are tied in and education specialists there. So I'm sure we can, they can reach out and find out some of those other programs that are available to you. So thank you very much for, for sharing that. 
I wanted now to sort of switch gears a little bit to change to some of the, the programs that you have been working with with our company on, particularly a new program called the F360, which is a module of MySync. And uh, it's the Fertility 360, which is the, the shorthand is the F360. You've got to use these shorthand terms in the U.S., and make it close to a big truck. We don't have to, we don't have much time. Nick. We have to speak fast. Okay. So that's why we short. No, I said that's why we short everything. No, yeah, it's F three sixty. That's it. That's it. You've got to you got to speak fast. <laughs> so you know, Adrian, you've been working on this project with us for probably two years now, beginning with helping educate our staff on transition cow disease and its effect on fertility management which is something that we've come to uh, obviously take very seriously and you know, certainly has extended our discussions with both veterinarians and producers that having great fertility is not sold through a vial of PG or GnRH. It's more than that. You have to address a whole kaleidoscope of issues that start essentially 21 days before calving and following those through through that calving interval or transition cow period is pretty critical. And with MySync, obviously, we've collected a number of data. So this fits in nicely with your previous research at the Ohio State University and development of an application there, but also for the research and good quality data. And so the collection of all that is then culminated in this tool for veterinarians to help basically assess a dairy and how well they're going through the transition cow period. So I guess my, my question to you is, what's been your involvement in that project? What's been your role? Yeah, so no, definitely. And I just going to share a little bit of the background when you guys reach out to me and, and how everything kind of got started two years ago. And um, one thing that, that when you, Nick, approached me about this, this uh, idea of developing this automated tool to collect all this information uh, to assess a farm, and saving a uh, number of hours of work and just concising the information right to what you need and just plotting that information into easy to understand graphs. It kind of blew my mind because I thought that that's what, what actually I was needing or, or everybody that is in the consulting business was needed because it's just, yeah, and everybody might agree with me about how time consuming the whole process is and not only to go to the farm and look at the cows and facilities, but then after that go through the records and getting all the specific information that we need uh, when it comes to diseases, when it comes to reproduction and, and things like that. The, the Fertility 360, so my involvement was helping on, on developing or, or the components and identifying those, those critical areas that affect reproduction uh, most uh, from the transition point of view. Because uh, quite often we focus, when it comes to reproduction, we really focus on the protocol. So what protocol was where it was, protocol works uh, worse, or, or the semen or things like that. We forget about how much impact, how much impact the health of the cows and the transition from the cow from a non-lactating stage when they are dry, a pregnant non-lactating stage when they are dry into a lactating non-pregnant stage. At that transition to that, all the challenges that those cows go through and how well they cope with that based on how well we manage those cows, uh, the, the huge impact that that has in reproduction. So I was involved in identifying those those main components and putting together the, the tool and then how to kind of the flow of how the information is collected and how the information is processed and, and displayed. And I think that the, the potential of this tool is, is really incredible and as it's always evolving and it's just getting better each uh, time that, that we add something. 
but it's just having the information available, really available and automated, and also being able to just collect the information that you collect in the field in the, in the app or in this um, sort of app that is connected to, to the site, and then display that information into, uh, first of all, match the information to the benchmark, telling you without you even looking at how many of those parameters match the benchmark, how many did not, and then listing those, and then you can make recommendations or think of what else you can look at it. But also the tool will provide you some recommendations to improve those parameters, that those are the components that also help on developing as well. So it not only have a source for collecting information better, faster and uh, in a user-friendly manner. He also has information to help veterinarians to develop recommendations and approaches to improve the issue. And also, he matched us to benchmark that are either industry or, or, or science benchmark and tell the, the producer or the veterinarian to tell the producer, hey, here's where you are and here's where we, we actually want to be and based on actually science or, or industry guidelines. One of the biggest components, and, and perhaps that's going to be tied to your next question, Nick, is, is the data that's going to be collected by this source and the benchmark that is going to be internally produced by this tool based on the massive amount of data from you guys reaching a million cows, right? We, we do. And the, on the, the my, well, I call it the MySync community. So we have a, just over a million dairy cows, all de-identified. So for those that are, are concerned about security, and, it's, and that is a real concern. But there's over 250 dairy herds from around the country. Uh, some have a, we have a higher density of installations of, of MySync, which is free. Uh, it's a free program to dairies. So all of that data then feeds into, as you say, some of the benchmarking tools that they'll have. So they'll really be able to compare like for like Farm. So it's not a case of, well, look, that clinical study was done on a um, closed herd in, in Wisconsin. I'm here in, you know, on a high desert farm in, in Colorado. What relevance does that have? But you'll actually be able to use the MySync community data to help benchmark, which is a feature that I already like about it. And as we continue to build that database out, um, obviously, it'll just strengthen that benchmarking tool. I think, Adrian, you know, certainly one of the where you come into this or your, your strength in, in this is actually being able to develop the tool for veterinarians and walk in their shoes from a practical perspective, like is on the approach. So, you know, certainly the development of the questionnaires and the actual walkthrough of how do you walk through a dairy. I know it doesn't sound very complicated, but there is a science uh, to that. Just tell us a little bit more about what the rationale was to how you approach different pens and different ages of the animal on the farm. Yeah, so there is always approach that has biological meaning. And it's, it's basically, uh, you're, you you want to work from the more more sensitive animals, less immune exposed animals to the to the animals that are stronger in, immune-wise. So usually when you do a, a full audit of a farm, you're going to look first in the calf, and then you're going to move over. So newborn calf, then you're going to move to pre-wean, post-wean, heifers, and so on, just in order to not expose those younger animals to pathogens from adult animals that can cause disease and they don't have the immunity for. 
With that being said, we cannot follow similar a path in this program, but we only focus on the category of animals that we were looking at, that were our transition cows, and we just follow the, the lactation cycle of the animal, the production cycle of the cows. So we start with the dry cows, then we move to the maternity, then we move to the fresh cows, and then we kind of finish then with we can add the, the personal management or the other questions that are more about just talking with, with the farmer. But I think that the neat thing of the flow of the tool lace is all connected based on the stages, lactational station or the production station of, of the cows. And it's kind of, it's really easy to follow from the farm. And I think going back to some of the, the challenges that we've had before about diagnosis, treatment, and then recording and, and following that up. How do you see the F360 addressing those three elements? Well, the, the thing that with the F360 and the mycin community is that the power that the tool is acquired because of the large amount of animals that are involved in the large amount of operations. I think that the way that I, I see the F360 helping with that is uh, if we are able to create a sort of standardization of disease diagnosis and also disease recording that can be used or can be promoted by the veterinarians involved in the mycin community, and then can be applied in the farms in order to have more accurate data, not only for the farm, which is going to have a great impact on the farm by having more accurate data, so therefore we're going to make more meaningful decisions. I always uh, ask the question, what do you rather to have, inaccurate data or no data at all? And my answer is always the same. I rather not have any data to have inaccurate data or, or bad data because with no data, I do not make any decision. With bad data, I'll be making decisions, and they're going to be the wrong decisions. So from the point of view of the farm, there's going to be a direct implication of, of the decision-making and, and meaningfulness of that. And then from other point of view, from the researchers, uh, such as myself and, and other researchers in, in the nation, that we will be able to access that information and actually develop practices and protocols that have more more meaningful information. As I mentioned before, as, uh, some of my trials, we used the records of the farm, but we actually didn't find any difference. And then when we did ourselves, we actually found some difference. And perhaps it's that standardization of the disease definition that we use in our research trial is not as common in the farm. But if we can create that and implement that, then we can use this massive data that is really strong from the statistical point of view, really strong conclusion that we can draw out of, of this data uh, in order to develop best management practices for, for the producers. So one of the underlying things that we've seen early on, aging with the use of the tool already is underdiagnosis. And I think that's a challenge. Uh, again, it ties into the data. You know, do we really have accurate data, or you know, is the data precise? But in this case, it's we've got an underdiagnosis. So we've actually built some decision support in there that flags that your incidence of a particular disease is too low. Uh, it's lower than what we would expect. Perhaps that's good management, but also the other consideration is that you're not actually re recording the disease. So how do you go about educating through the extension in your work in, in the local areas? What are the key diseases that you think that people are missing in terms of underdiagnosis? And then, so what would those be? And then what are the minimums that people should be doing as a baseline to actually start detecting some of these diseases? 
One of the really the diseases that I, I like to call gateway diseases that there are tons of research that have shown us that affect directly and indirectly the immune system of the cow, the performance of the cow, and the likelihood of those cows of getting sicker or developing other diseases is a, a ketosis and hypocalcemia. When it comes to hypocalcemia, we still do not have a, a really good calcite test or a, a, a economical one. Most of the one available ones are uh, offered by the vet and they're fairly expensive uh, per cow. But I believe there's some work being performed in, in a Japan company that they're doing some research in collaboration with Cornell University, or actually they did some research. And, and there are some promising features of that tool and hopefully will be it's not commercially available yet. But from the ketosis point of view, we have a lot of calcite tests that we can start applying in order to monitor this condition and manage our cows even before in order to improve the metabolic status of those cows. So clinical ketosis not only affect the immune system, not only affect the likelihood of the cow having uh, disease, but also affect the fertility of that cow. That cow is not going to get pregnant as a CCS, a cow that does not have a, a ketosis. And, and there are different tests that can be used, such as the urine test, the milk test, or the blood test. Different accuracy, but all of them you know, work in some degree. And instead of nothing, any of those is better than nothing. Being the blood one, the more accurate one, the milk, the second one, and the the urine kind of the, le the less accurate one, but perhaps one of the more more applicable. But regardless of that, I think that those are diseases that we're kind of, uh, not assessing as much, and they definitely had a huge impact on on how the cow is going to perform. Mm. And would you say that even a, a precursor for that, and a very simple thing to measure, is the body condition score? Obviously, that uh, ketosis being a metabolic disease and uh, the mobilization of fat during that transition period. I mean, how routine do you see people measuring body condition score? I mean, that's a very simple observation. doesn't require calcide test or well, uh, calcide observation, maybe. But, you know, is that something that you see routinely being checked as well? It's not, Nick. And it's, that's, it's good that you bring that, that up because it's, it's a really easy tool that we have, really easy to perform. It just only requires a little more, few more minutes of the personnel that perhaps it's not going to even reflect any change on, on expense or cost. And it's incredible, the meaning of that and, and how that affects the, the cow, especially the cow fertility. And, of course, as I mentioned before, the health of that cow. But it, it's not common being recorded or monitored. And I always, every educational program that I have regarding transition cow management, always encourage the audience to start doing that. There are some automated tools that are coming out that we actually talk about that, Nick, a few months ago or so, uh, cameras and things like that, that they're coming out with more accuracy. So the more proactive producers might, might already start doing that. It's, it's, it's less time consuming, but the visual observation is, is accurate. Uh, of course, it's a subjective measure, but still, if the same people, the same person do it over and over, it's going to be accurate. We, we tend to be a little less accurate when there are many observers or many people doing the, the measurement. But it's, it's a really good information that can be collected and doesn't cost much, and it's not. So. Yeah. And one of the things I think that we certainly have as a feature of the F360 tool is the ability to, to capture that information simply using the app. But also one of the things I like about the, the tool as well is it actually gives you a guideline as to how many animals 
you need to test. And, and I think that's the important thing for, particularly for producers here, is thinking, well, that's an extra cost for doing the, the keto strips or whatever keto test that they're doing for ketosis, is that you don't have to test every animal. This is a, almost as a representation. And then there's the timing of, of when you want to do those tests as well. And I, that's one of the things that I like in the tool is that some of the protocols that you've written, Adrian, it actually advises the dairyman and the vet to help put in, look, let's test X percentage of of these animals here. And, you know, that's the minimum that we can start and get a handle on the incidence of these disease. Because once you um, measure it, uh, you can start to manage it. And that's the sort of finish out on the, the F360 is the management report that then gets published. Again, a nice thing about having it automated or online is that it can send you friendly reminders. So it's not something that's going to sit in a binder and uh, it, you know it's going to be out there. How important is that in, in terms of follow-up in your mind, Adrian, is to, to make sure that you have a living and working management plan? It's everything, I think. It's what it will move that from being again, a waste of time from the veterinarian into and actually something that is going to be meaningful for the producer because the thing is that everybody's so busy. We are all really busy and we will forget. So just a feature that the app has about uh, the reminders and just kind of follow up without none of the parties, neither the veterinarians or the producer, having to worry about the follow-up because the app is just going to send a reminder. Oh, yeah, let's touch base on this. Let's see where we are. And then that I think that that is a really neat feature it has because we tend to forget because as how busy the whole industry is. So by having that, it definitely I think it will increase the application of the recommendations and and of course the the meaningfulness of the report. You know, they actually we had a report, we had a recommendation, we implemented, then we see an improvement. Mm, absolutely. And uh, just to to round out discussion there on on that again, and this is my unashamed uh, plug now. So the F360 is a new module within MySync. MySync is the application developed by Parnell. Uh, it is free to all dairymen. Um, presently, it, it uh, takes a backup of the Dairy Comp DC305 data, and we are working on other systems. It can also be done manually as well for other systems. And veterinarians, uh, obviously, it's a, it's a vet-only tool or vet-only module within the program. And uh, we've had some great success with it. I think standard a standard operating procedure is what you said at the very beginning, Adrian, which is what I think I like about it. It's the same program rolled out across the entire country that we can all work together on, irrespective of if you're in a tie stall or a dry lot environment. It's assessing the cows in the same way. And uh, I think with that benchmarking data makes it very, very powerful. And thank you, Adrian, for your continued support and, and work in that on the Clinical Review Committee as well. So as we wind up, a little bit of learning about Dr. Adrian Berrigan and his time and how he ended up in the United States at the faculty there at Penn State. I always have to ask uh, Adrian to each of my uh, speakers, favorite dairy product? Are you a big fan of dairy or is it something that you're not? I don't know if I've interviewed yet anyone that hasn't said that they aren't a fan of dairy, but there's always a first. No pressure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I actually, I am a heavily consumer of dairy products. It's I I'm, uh, practice uh, sort of uh, activities, physical activities, sport and things like that. And I always know the nutritional features of all the dairy products from, from the protein point of view. So I uh, have large consumer in the chocolate milk <laughs> yes. and cheese bars. Those are my, my favorite ones. 
Does the college have, they've got their own small dairy, don't they, 200 cows? Do they produce any products for the local students? I mean, have they got an ice cream uh a creamery and, and so forth. Anything to write home about? They do. Uh, we have the best ice cream in the nation, and uh, for <laughs> not saying the world. But uh, yeah, we have a creamery. The ice cream is definitely outstanding. And uh, everybody brag that it's the best. I um, only have been here three years, but to my knowledge and to my testing of others, uh, it's really, really good. Yeah. Oh, excellent. Well, I am uh, I am a big fan of ice cream, but I am also a big fan of uh, chocolate milk too. Uh, there is some in my fridge as we speak, and I will have probably some for breakfast, and then I'll go for a long bike ride to work it off. Professor Adrian Barrigan, thank you so much for joining us this afternoon as part of the Blue Cow, Red Cow podcast. Extremely fortunate to um, have worked with you on the F360 project, and we are delighted to have your input on that, and also your work with the extension as well, and I hope that your listeners well, our listeners today can certainly make their way to the, the website and find out some of the exciting educational resources there for both veterinarians and producers. So thank you, Professor Adrian, for your time today. Thank you, Nick, for having me and for all the collaboration through these past years and, and for making you think in the industry and trying to improve and evolve the industry as, as we move forward. Because I think that is, is either the, the private industry or, or more of the sort of university uh, section, we always are looking for ways to improve the, the industry and just to make life easier for producers and, and the veterinary field. So thank you for, for keep working on that as well. You're very welcome. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed your time hearing Dr. Adrian Berrigan, his research extension programs at Penn State University and MySync Fertility 360 report. You can receive updates on the new podcast and the latest information on cattle reproduction by subscribing to our blog at bluecowredcow.com. From all of us here at the team at Parnell, have a great day and happy milking.